welcome to Jollo of the Month Club. I'm your host, Diana Koch. On this episode, we're diving into Heart of Midnight from 1988. This surreal thriller explores everything from childhood sexual trauma, post-70s feminism, and Euro-trash horror. My guest on this episode is a frequent contributor to Jollo of the Month Club. He is a musician, a filmmaker, and a fellow podcaster. Welcome back, Wade Brown. I'm back, and also the the crying kid outside your window is here too. Just saying, uh, if there's any noise, any apologies, blame the city of Baltimore. Call Mayor Brandon Scott. Hey, I'm trying to podcast here. Diana Koch trying to podcast. Will you shut the neighbors up? It's been a while since it's been two months. Two months. <laughs> two months since you've been on an episode. It's good. It's kind of you know every other episode we'll I'll feel, have it you feels on. Like forever though been a long two months it was cold back then now now it's uh it's a little humid if any of us get a little sniffly or a cough or whatever it's because allergies, allergies yes yeah them seasonal allergies we said that like in sync because <laughs> we both have allergies, allergies. <laughs> so within the past two months have you been watching anything interesting or funny or anything that you would recommend to the listeners well um I'd say I've been watching a lot of shows, more than movies. The Moon Knight show, check it out. I'm a couple episodes behind, but check it out. I was going to cancel Paramount Plus, and then I was like, you know what? Let me check out this Bar Rescue show. Oh, you got hooked on Bar Rescue. <clears throat> oh, this is disgusting. Shut it down. John Taffer is a hero. Uh, I make him tattooed on my body. Don't know. Taffer's Tavern coming to D.C. two years ago. They still have not done an ounce of construction inside that the bar, building. That bar. Could you imagine? So who knows when it will be opening? What happens if Taffer's Tavern needs a rescue? Who's we go in. We bust in. No, is, is John Taffer going to look in the mirror? You are failure. And then I was also checking out this, this show last night, actually. It's on Netflix. It's called The Ultimatum. Mm. It's so you've been watching a lot of reality television. My girlfriend's got me through a lot <laughs> of trash. She loves ghost adventures, so that's all I need to know. But we watched The Ultimatum, hosted by Nick Lachey and Vanessa Lachey, and it's about these couples, okay? Get this. Couples, one wants to get married, the other one's like, I don't know. So they give an ultimatum. So they get put into this place where they get the mingle with other couples and then they have to spend three weeks with a different partner oh hell no and it's very toxic very no. awful Mm-mm. but it's also you just can't stop watching but movies x saw x that saw was x as well that was uh exactly um you know I liked a t- it. it's a thai west film i liked it a lot yeah slow burn good gore the shotgun on the porch mm-hmm. did you see the batman I did see the Batman. Uh, I thought it was three hours long. <clears throat> now, I liked Robert, Pat- Robert Pattinson as Batman. I understand that he's a little emo and goth. Well, it's like he hasn't figured out how to be Batman yet or to uh, deal th- those feelings and those emotions. So he's going to be a little like edgy. He's going to be a little bit like a lot of people were saying, why is he always getting shot? When you want to be a void. The shots, but he's like, he's a death wish. So it's like, there's that, but there's also the last third of it. It's just like a whole different movie. I think I gave it a 3.5 on yeah. on Letterboxd. 
I didn't quite think it was a masterpiece, but I really enjoyed a lot of the stuff that they did. The only thing that I didn't like is that Bruce and Alfred, they claim that they, like, never bonded growing up, but he was the only person around growing up. Yeah, how did lot, you not... There was a lot of weird stuff with that. I do like how the Batman felt like a detective noir. Yeah. For once. Uh, Paul Dano was great. Oh, yes. Um, even Colin Farrell. Unrecognizable. Yeah, unrecognizable. Um, cool action. That chase. That, that I love. The car chase. I love the car. I love the car. I chase. love the Batmobile. Um, there's a lot. The Riddler's cool. A lot of people don't like the costume. I do. It's very like seven. It's very like not seven. More like it's very Zodiac. real. Zodiac. That is very yeah. bad. So I like the Batman. Yeah, me too. It ain't no Batman and Robin though. I rewatched Nobody. Oh. Love Nobody. Yeah, Nobody's good. That was my top. Yeah, that was on our top list. Yeah, yeah. I had a streak within the last few weeks where I just watched a bunch of men beating up other men movies. Fun fact, last week of this recording, Bob Odenkirk got the star on the Walk of Fame. Ooh. Yeah. Speaking of men beating up other men and maybe having naked sword fights on top of a volcano, the Northmen? The Northmen. The Northmen. We saw it together. We did. And it was... It was everything I could hope for. Mwah. Chef's kiss. Uh, Willem Dafoe being naked. Uh, Everyone being naked. Bjork being weird and zany. Skarsgård was in it. Love a Skarsgård. And yes, there's a lot of testosterone. Mm-hmm, a lot mm-hmm. of guttural yelling and howling. Yeah. A lot of people getting killed. I feel like it's a bloody Hamlet. Yes, it's very Hamlet. Very Hamlet. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. You will definitely see that on my end of the year list. Uh, it's already on my <laughs> list, too. But where, Han, there's still uh, Thor, Love and Thunder. Mm-hmm. There's still Doctor Strange. There's still other movies I can't think of right now um, that have not come out yet. So it might well, not speaking be... Speaking of e- Ethan Hawke, The Black Phone is coming out soon. Yes. God, Ethan Hawke is such a good actor. He is. He's so good. He is. Too bad he wasn't... He was... Well, he was... Oh, he's in Moon Knight, too, right? He is. He yeah. plays, uh... I need to watch Hora. that. The only one movie I'm not really a big fan of is First Reformed. He was good in it. He was good in it. The movie wasn't. No, he's been in so much stuff. What a good actor. This episode is a listener suggestion. Friend of the podcast, Sam, from BNS About Movies, suggested Heart of Midnight. Sam! Along with the idea that Jennifer Jason Lee would make a fantastic Jollo queen. Mm-hmm. So today, Wade and I will talk all about Jollo queens that never were. We're going to talk about actresses that we think would be great in that lead protagonist, Scream Queen-esque Jalo role. With that said, there aren't a ton of Jalo elements within Heart of Midnight. There's a repeating motif of the color red and a sighting of a gimp mask, but not much murder. This episode will contain spoilers. You can watch Heart of Midnight on Tubi. Yep, that's where I watched it. It was really weird watching it on Tubi because I don't pay for it. So it was really weird when you're watching the movie and then all of a sudden an ad pops up mm-hmm. and like, whoa, this like is... for t- laundry detergent or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like always at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. It's just like, ah. Heart of Midnight was written and directed by Matthew Chapman. He is the great-great-grandson of Charles Darwin. Oh. 
don't know really what that equates to in this film. There's no science or astrology in this at all. In the film, Carol Rivers, played by Jennifer Jason Leigh, is a young woman who is getting back on her feet after a mental breakdown. She inherits a rundown nightclub in an even more rundown neighborhood from her late uncle, Fletcher. Carol decides to renovate the venue, but in the process, uncovers dark secrets about the club and her dead relative. After a series of disturbing events, Carol becomes increasingly unstable. That was the movie. In a nutshell. Pretty much. Jennifer Jason Lee in the lead role. Personally, I think the best thing about Heart of Midnight is the central performance by Jennifer Jason Lee. Jennifer seems to make curious career choices, ranging from Fast Times at Ridgemont High to Paul Verhoeven's Violent Flesh and Blood. Mm-hmm. And then she's been in like quirky horror films like The Hitcher. She was also in um, Hateful Eight. And she was in Possessor. Yes, she was in Possessor. Yeah, so she makes a lot of different choices when it comes to her career. In Heart of Midnight, she gives a quietly unnerving performance. Yes. You don't quite know what's going on. One of the strangest things about the movie is how she, every time she looks in the mirror, she degrades herself. She's always saying, like, you're ugly. Like, what? What's wrong? She was super cute. I know. She's still cute. Yeah. Jeffrey Jason Lee um, also is in Twin Peaks: The Return. Mm. She plays. She's with Tim Roth and stuff. But they're like, I put, this, I put this in quotations. Hit men because they're not Dougie. really. Yeah, for Dougie. Yeah. You know, hello. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a strange part of my life. I need to go watching back. it every week. I don't know. I feel like the internet was not ready. Just not ready for. What David Lynch and getting angry when freaking Cooper was not there. I was just thinking about Twin Peaks: The Return recently because been listening to a lot of Sky Ferreira. Oh yeah. So she has a, I, I guess maybe a new album coming out. I don't know. On Instagram, she posted something teasing yeah. a show or a song or something. Gosh, remember I was so excited when she was on the cast list thinking, oh my gosh, she's going to be, well, one, I thought she's going to be in more than one episode. She was in one episode and she just looked like a strung out junkie. Yeah. Had like scabies and looked like she smelled. Yeah, that was. I was uh, a little disappointed. Yeah. And I, I, I did think she was going to be a musical act. Mm, but the opportunity. But we did get the Nine Inch Nails. Yes. Yeah. Next in the cast of Heart of Midnight is Peter Coyote as Detective Sharp. Sharp. Lieutenant. It's, Lieutenant in Sharp. In the credits, it, sa- it says he's one of those people that's like, blah, 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 as Sharp. Mm-hmm. We have Brenda Vaccaro as Betty Rivers. She plays Carol's mom. You would know Brenda from Midnight Cowboy. Yeah. She's been a ton of stuff. We also have Steve Buscemi as Eddie. Steve was then unknown, so this is one of his first roles. And lastly, on this cast list, I have Detective Ladre. Played by, you guessed it, Frank Stallone. R.I.P. Norm MacDonald. In his most (laughs) uninhibited and weirdest movie appearance as an unsympathetic police detective. You know what really bothers me about the whole thing is, what city were they in? I don't know if he had. But he had a bolo tie. He also was doing guitar solos <laughs> yeah. in, in the police precinct. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just saying, like, 
Hit a bullet tie. No, what he does has nothing to do with anything else in the film. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this movie as a whole makes some choices, but Frank Stallone as an individual is making some choices. They're like, uh, we got one of the Stallones and they thought it was going to be Sylvester. And now we got Frank. Oh my gosh. Just do whatever you want. In the contract, we said Stallone can do whatever he wants. Didn't think it was Frank Stallone. I did not catch what city this was supposed to be in. I assume New York or Los Angeles, but he had a bolo tie. So no, like, it was I feel like it was outside of Chicago yeah, or like like, Detroit or something. But not like Austin, Texas or no. Oklahoma. No, because again, the choices that were made do not align with anything else in this yeah. film. I'm saying trash wise, it makes me think New York. So I mentioned earlier that one of the prominent colors in this film reds and blues they really make the setting pop the outside of the club is very dark and dreary and run down Mm -hmm. but the rest of the like pop art colors they make the interior of the club kind of surreal and otherworldly yeah yeah. otherworldly definitely for sure smart choice i was actually doing a little research but roger ebert had a good quote for this movie and i quote chapman is a better director than he is a writer yeah and it shows of this because this movie really relies on style, mm-hmm. atmosphere, over... Like set pieces. Yes. Over mm-hmm. engaging story. Yeah. Heart of Midnight has a short runtime of 93 minutes. There are two deaths total, maybe three. There's a character I'm not sure if they died or not. But there is one is dead Fl- mouse... I did not count Uncle Fletcher because we didn't see him actually die. Yeah, but he's dead. That's how Carol gets the midnight. There is a mouse head in a water cooler. Yeah. You know what I have to say about that? No bueno. Also, his cap got decayed. His cap got decayed, yes! (laughs) Hashtag Jalla Mouth Club. (laughs) Carol is a young woman recovering from her recent, although not the first nervous breakdown she has just inherited the midnight an outdated nightclub in a now seedy neighborhood from her mysterious uncle fletcher against the advice of her mother betty to simply sell the property carol not only commits to reopening the club but moves in as well at one point a bunch of keys mysteriously appear as carol opens the locked doors she discovers oddly designed rooms and whole sections hidden within the building She soon realizes that the club was a brothel catering to clients with sexually perverted tendencies. That's one of the more interesting aspects of this film is that each of the rooms has a different theme. They're not all practical. No. No, there's one where there's just a pile of apples in a corner. I didn't get that one. (laughs) That was strange. Very strange, yes. Carol hires some workmen and sets about remodeling the main room of the club, even while she wonders what lurks in the red corridors upstairs. She takes her time to look into every room. First third of the movie is this. They start the movie just, you're in the movie. She just walks up and... She walks up with a cast on her leg? (laughs) Yeah. And, oh, the movie started. Oh, okay. There's no, like, establishing shots. It's just like, oh. So Carol is an anxious and lonely woman with high hopes and a fragile mind, and it isn't long before the various workers begin to grate on her nerves. It seems her employees have issues with taking orders from a woman, and Carol must simply contend with the rampant complaints until she can figure out a way to handle it. 
there is a lot of gaslighting happening here. A lot of gaslighting, a lot of misogyny, a lot of uh, men being crap. Gross. Yeah. Yeah. At night, Carol is haunted by strange noises within the walls and nightmares left over from a troubled childhood. On her first night in the empty club, three men outside the building watch Carol through a window. Taking it as an open invitation, the three men enter the building and find Carol alone. While the two white men of the group, including a then-unknown Steve Buscemi... Dressed like Shaggy from (laughs) Scooby-Doo. Assault Carol, a third man, a black man, tries to stop them. This allows Carol to escape, but when the police arrive, they shoot the man who stopped the attack. Yeah. Also, I'm trying to... Does he die? I don't know. I don't know if they show that. They just totally drop it. I don't understand the movie on on this part. Mm -hmm. So the place is haunted, essentially. As a mind of its own. The doors open, letting Steve Buscemi and all them go in. That's an open invitation, but she didn't open the door. So they go in to do the stuff, but then the doors are locked. And then it seems like it was a trap for them and not her. Right, but she's the one that ends up being the victim. I'm just very like, it just, that part confused me. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't know. Maybe the listeners can let me know. I, I was very confused on what's the... Sounds weird. What is the th- what is the nightclub's motive in inviting him in? Yeah. Is, if you're going to make him thwart it. Right. But they... You know, I don't know. It also throws a bicycle at one point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What side is the midnight on if it is indeed... Yeah. If it does have a mind of its own. Yeah. In the aftermath of her assault, the police learn of Carol's psychological history and began doubting her version of what happened. The police tell her that she will be contacted by Lieutenant Sharp and tell her to go home. After the frightening ordeal, Carol works hard to maintain a level of normalcy, if only to prove her controlling mother wrong. Carol may have a good chance at managing her anxiety with the help of a supportive female neighbor who has come to her aid following the attack. All of a sudden, Sharp shows up. Mm-hmm. Just, he just shows up. Yeah, shortly after returning to the club, Carol finds another uninvited man waiting for her. He claims to be Lieutenant Sharp. He proves to know much about her Uncle Fletcher and the club. Although he is more sympathetic than the other police officers, his revelations of Uncle Fletcher lead Carol to eject him from the building. Yeah. Mysteriously, a bike is thrown down the stairs. Yeah. Things have a mind of their own. Soon after he leaves, another visitor arrives. This is the real Lieutenant Sharp. Speaking with Carol over the intercom. She just yells at him. She doesn't realize he's a different person. And she tells him to leave. As the real Lieutenant Sharp begins to leave, he is then killed off screen. I think stabbed. Yeah. Looks like he was stabbed off screen in some random room. We don't see it. The first man who identified himself as Lieutenant Sharp returns, and he sparks a friendship with Carol, who remains oblivious to his impersonation. And he's a cook. Yep. Important, important detail there. Because the other Sharp, the real Sharp, isn't. Over dinner in the club, this impersonating Sharp tells Carol about himself. He also drugs her. Later on, the police return to search the club. They find two boys hiding and stashing away kittens. (sighs) Kitty cat alert. Oh my gosh, that was my favorite scene in the entire movie. That was movie. my favorite scene as well. Also, uh, <laughs> I'm still I'm still reeling from the drugging her part. I understand the logic of mm-hmm. like, 
so he can freely look around the place. But she's so oblivious to where you could just do that anyway. Right. You could probably ask her for a tour. While they're having dinner and throughout the movie, there's noises happening within the walls and things being misplaced and an apple showing up in her empty refrigerator and mouse head in the jug and all kinds of random things happening that you still are not sure if it's real or her imagination. Yeah. The police do find the two boys, they find the kittens, but they miss discovering the dead body of the real Lieutenant Sharp. They're skeptical as ever to Carol, especially when she describes having dinner with Lieutenant Sharp, who is married and not quite the cook. You'll notice all of these intruders coming in and anything negative happening. They're all men. She's traumatized. Now, the giant eyeball. The giant eyeball. Do you think that was a man's eyeball? Yes. Okay. Because it was checking her out. Okay. For sure. Mysterious sounds continue to be heard throughout the club. Carol's random visions intensify as she discovers hidden spaces within the building. She's forced to confront repressed memories of Uncle Fletcher. There's a reveal of a person living within the walls of the club. Great reveal with the mirror. So late in the game. Yeah, it's so late in the game. But, you know, because she's always talking into that mirror. It's Mm -hmm. like, you never thought of like, oh, that's leading to something. And it's just just a great, like, it dropped and he runs away. It's like, whoa, whoa. It's like, yeah, but this is like 25 minutes left into the movie. Mm -hmm. It's a little late. And the person turns out to be someone named Sonny, who is similar age to Carol, and they knew Uncle Fletcher. There's no clear explanation of what Uncle Fletcher was doing to Carol and Sonny. Not good stuff. Presumably molesting them. And it's not really clear if Sonny was a girl or a guy. Yeah. I thought it was a, I thought it was a girl, <clears throat> the, but... The person portraying Sonny is female. Okay. I believe their name is Gail or something. Or they they have might have different pronouns. <clears throat> I think in the movie, Sonny's a guy. But portrayed yeah. by a woman. That and, might the be... na- and the name is very interchangeable. Could be yeah. a woman or a man. And I'm thinking that they were molested because the friend, the neighbor... Is watch randomly just watching. She finds it outside the mm-hmm. tape outside. Mm-hmm. I guess I missed that because all of a sudden she's watching this smut tape. And I'm like, yeah. why is she watching smut? She's watching the smut tape, and then somehow along the way, Carol gets chained up. Yeah, and people start groping her, and then they just disappear without any explanation to who yeah. they are. <clears throat> Guessing it's same people from the video that the neighbor's watching. Yeah, and, and it reveals the boy in the yeah. video. So we're like. Okay, that Sonny that's is Sonny that boy. as a child. Yeah. And it's not really clear who the fake Lieutenant Sharp character is either, or why Uncle Fletcher put him in jail. We're going to get into this thing with Sharp. I'm very confused with the Sharp character. Is he a ghost? Because here's the thing. The worker sees him. Mm-hmm. So it's not a ghost. Unless you can only see him inside there. Inside of the midnight. Mm-hmm. I assume that he is like his sister is was in the brothel. And he was gonna blow the whole thing wide until Fletcher threw him in jail. I don't know how. Framed them or something. Yeah, framed him, that's what I assumed. There's also an idea that Sonny is his child. That's what I thought, is that Sonny Lieutenant Sharp, the fake Lieutenant Sharp came back to find Sonny, trying to figure out what happened with Sonny. That's why he was always trying. That's why he drugged Carol to sneak around to find Sonny. Yeah. It wasn't fleshed out as much. No, it wasn't really fleshed out. And then there was a shootout 
which is our other, our second kill. There's the real Lieutenant Sharp gets yeah. murked by also, Sonny. Also a good reveal of, like, the, the leather mask. Yes. Like, he turns. Great shot. And the, uh, Chapman is really good visually in this movie. Sadly, the context does not hold it up as much. You can't rely on style too much. But that shot was great. I was like, that felt Jalo. That did. And we mentioned the eyeball shot a couple times. I love that eyeball shot. Yeah. Coming out of the door. Yeah. Like and in also, the waterbed. In the waterbed. That was With such eyeballs. a good... That yeah, was, that was cool. A lot of what happens in this movie has a haphazard feel about it. Then it ends... And you're left with a lot of questions, which we've mentioned quite a few yeah, <laughs> on this yeah. episode already. The movie feels art house. And it's like when she's going through the rooms, it feels very like abstract and very David Lynch would go check this out. Or like any other like experimental like director would do it. Uh, I can assume that this movie did not do well in theaters based on how it's filmed and told. I don't see, in 1988, you know, you have the Rambo movies, you have all this stuff, you know, Spielberg is being getting big and stuff like that. It's like, I highly doubt that a lot of people came to see that movie. That's not a detriment on the movie, it just feel like, but it does feel late 80s AF. Mm-hmm. You know, it just feels like those late 80s balls to the wall, just throw everything at the wall and see what sticks kind of mentality with these horror or thriller movies. You hit on some really similar points as me when it comes to my thoughts with this film. If John Waters and David Lynch made a Jalo film, this would be it. Yeah, it reminds me of do you remember that oh god it was very low it's like low brow, but then it has really interesting set pieces and cool visuals. Do you remember that movie, uh, it was a Maryland Film Festival, Strawberry something, what was it? Strawberry Mansion? Strawberry Mansion. The visual style makes me think of that. And also I feel like the director watched The Shining a lot. (laughs) Because there's a lot of, like, weird rooms. Yeah. And architecture and and color. Yeah. Yeah, Heart of Midnight is chock full of surrealism. Much of this film is simply silliness, devoting itself to a series of false alarms in which strange noises mean nothing. Carol is always having to calm herself down after her imagination runs away with her. Director Matthew Chapman devotes more of his energy to illuminating his elusive style than to telling a story and satisfying the audience. He never seems to care about a clear-cut narrative, and by the end of the film, the revelations of what is going on create more mystery than clarifying what exactly happens. He slowly builds a complicated web of plot points, haunting images, and sounds that may or may not be imaginary, and disturbing sexual motifs that reveal Carol's traumatic past in a unique cinematic form. Still confusing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There are times when the movie produces the occasional decent shock, Eventually, Heart of Midnight folds in onto itself. The conclusion introduces a new character very late in the game to explain what's been going on, but it really creates more questions. Heart of Midnight is messy. It's odd. It's about half of a good movie. Audiences looking for a conventional narrative may be frustrated. Anyone looking for a story told through more visual connections could appreciate this one. If you're into art design, I feel like definitely check this out. The setup of Heart of Midnight is similar to Roman Polanski's Repulsion. 
in which our lead character underwent some traumatic behavior readjustment, and the audience has to figure out whether she was going crazy or not. Our lead actress has to suggest the same sort of mental disintegration. Reportedly, Jennifer Jason Lee was disappointed with how Heart of Midnight turned out. She had done her customary extensive research for the project, meeting with women who had been abused as children, interviewing psychologists, attending crisis clinics, writing diaries and backstories in Carol's voice. Jennifer Jason Lee likely felt disheartened when she saw the final product. So Sam from BNS About Movies is convinced that Jennifer Jason Lee would make a great Jallo queen. I could see it. I could see so, it. I sometimes get her and Elizabeth Shue confused. Hmm. From the 80s, back in the 80s. They have similar kind of looks. But then I look at pictures and they're not <laughs> at all. <clears throat> anyway. So let's talk about Jallo queens that never were. And it could be a current actress... It could be someone from the past. Are we doing? Are we for, doing a thing where like we're on pick one, you pick one, or my put my whole list and you pick your whole list? Let's pick our top two. Okay. You do one, <clears throat> I do one. You do one, I do one. Yeah. And then we can talk some honorable mentions. So I feel like it might one of mine might be on your list. My first one, and I was really going more David Lynch, uh, Laura Dern. Ooh. Based on like you know you see her in like on Blue Velvet. She can basically, she can be innocent, smart, funny, but also dark, scary, intense, Inland Empire. That scene where she's going towards the camera at night, and she gets closer and closer, and it's like, really, like, whoa. But also she can be a little, <clears throat> she have a little sass in there, and look mm-hmm. at, like, Tail at Twin Peaks, The Return. I feel like she, and also, you know, she's very kind and relatable if you look at stuff like... Blue Velvet's and one, but more of like Jurassic Park mm-hmm. or something like that. Like, Laura Dart now or a younger Laura Dart? La- younger. But I feel like she like, could play, <clears throat> here's saying, when she's older, her, her age now, she could play like another character in a child film. Not, right. Maybe not the main girl. I like that. Yeah. I also like her as a character that she's maybe like our protagonist, but then she turns out to be the killer. Yes. Because yeah, she yeah. could do that little like evil yeah. turn. I like that a lot. Good one. Yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan of Laura Dern. I dressed up like her for Halloween one year. You did. <laughs> From Twin Peaks and Return. So my first pick is Lorenza Izzo. You've seen movies of hers, and I'll get to it in just a second. Sure. So Wade had a very confused face at my pick. So my first pick, Lorenza Izzo is a Chilean actress and model. She's appeared in films including Aftershock, The Green Inferno, Knock Knock, in Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay. She also had a small role in the Netflix horror series Hemlock Grove. Oh, that's a, that's a show I have not heard of in years. I know. I kind of want to rewatch That's Hemlock a deep Grove. cut. And it's, it's really not good, <laughs> but I really want to watch it. And that has a scars guard in it. So full circle for beginning of the episode. Yeah. Lorenzo was born in Santiago, Chile. To Chilean model Rosita Parsons. Lorenza is of Italian descent on her father's side. In Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Lorenza plays fictional Italian actress Francesca Capucci. This character is based loosely on films that took place in America and in Italy in the 1960s, particularly the spaghetti western era. Throughout the history of filmmaking, there's always been that bombshell type of character played by actresses like Sophia Loren and Edwidge Finnick. All of these women were stunning, curvaceous, beautiful. Looks-wise, Lorenza fits the bill. 
She has that mysterious foreign brunette goodness going for her. She also has range and big expressive eyes, perfect for intense scenes. Lorenza has done environmental horror, cannibal horror, sexy home invasion thrillers, so maybe a giallo could be next. Okay. I can give you two after this, but mine is kind of a cheat because she is in a giallo film. Mm, okay. And what I can cons- I consider it a giallo film. Was it on your year end list last year? No. Oh. No. Whoa. Okay, go ahead. I'm now what what movie? Okay, what, we'll what, get movie to- what movie am I thinking? Okay. Um <laughs> she was in the movie called Phenomena or Creepers, Jennifer Connolly. Mm. Uh I love her in the movie Dark City. She is fantastic in that. Very mesmerizing. And because she, it's cheating, because Phenomena is, in my opinion, a giallo, because there is a mystery killer and stuff like that. <laughs> there is an ape. There is a monkey in there it. There is. There are insects. If, if there's a movie where I can pick a movie, it's Phenomena uh, to do on the show, because um, it's so crazy. But I feel like she could be great. Just like, I feel like she does a lot more dramas and stuff like that. She hasn't really done that much horror, but I feel like that's like a, not just giallo, but in horror. I feel like that's just a missing gem right there okay. so a younger jennifer Connolly. oh yeah in what the 90s yeah okay is she in an argento film first and then she's in another giallo probably 15 years probably. 10 years later yeah probably okay yeah okay. got it all right so my second pick and then we'll talk about honorable mentions yeah. and this was fun i really got into this so my second pick for flavor of the month of giallo queens that never were is tony collette Oh, oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I thought we were going to pick someone totally different, but okay. I might get I might get to it. Okay. Tony Collette's great. I didn't think about Tony Collette. Tony Collette is an Australian actress, producer, singer, and songwriter. Known for her work in television and independent films, she has received various accolades throughout her career. Tony's films include diverse genres such as the period comedy Emma, the action thriller Shaft, the period drama The Hours, the romantic drama, Japanese story, the mystery film, Knives Out, which we talk about a lot on this podcast, <laughs> uh, and horror films like Krampus. Tony made a profound impact on audiences with her captivating performance in Ari Aster's Hereditary in 2018. Her performance pushes against the outer edges of fully committed acting. I could totally picture Tony in a Mimsy Farmer type role, playing a psychologically tormented lead in a Jallo film. Mm. I would love to have her channel that energy into a really psychological Jallo where she is losing her mind. Yeah. 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 I'm into it for sure. Can I make a guess of what your honorable mentions are? Is Micah Monroe one of them? Totally support Michael Monroe, but I think a lot of her other films, she's playing more subdued and less of reactionary, guttural, screaming, that type of stuff. Of course I would love to see Michael Monroe in a job. Okay, I want to give you, I have four. Florence Pugh. You mentioned Hereditary. I'm going to say Midsummer. She, I think she, you know, I don't love Midsummer as much as Hereditary. I think she was a shining Florence. I think she's a star that's like... Would be perfect for Jalo. I would love to see her in a Jalo that is set in London and she gets to use her real accent. Yes. Oh my God. Yes, yes, yes. yes. My first of my three runner-up. I have three up. others. Uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar. 
Ooh. Especially during her late 90s, early 2000s horror reign. Buffy. Buffy. I Know What You Did Last Summer. Scream 2. You'd probably throw Jennifer Love Hewitt in that. You could if she was a better actress. Yeah, that's true. Touche. Touche. <laughs> she can be one of, like, the first kiss. She can be, like, the opening <laughs> kill, like... Does she show her boobs in movies? I don't think so. I don't no. think she has either. No. I was going to say, she could be like the first kill in like a shower. Not yeah. that she doesn't have to show boobs, but you know, we can only hope. 14 year old me would love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Jennifer Love Hewitt as the opening kill in a Sarah Michelle Geller led movie. Ooh, yes. yeah. Yes, I would love that. Uh, All right, what's your next one? 80s Demi Moore. Okay. Like, short hair Demi Moore. Okay. <laughs> like, I feel like, because I was talking about Jennifer Conlon that, that I added that to my list. Demi Moore was like, she yeah. could be great as a lead. Next on my list is Samara Weaving. One of the reasons that I picked Lorenza Izzo is those big expressive eyes. She has those. Great scream, too. She has a great scream. She's in Ready or Not. Mm-hmm. Mayhem. She's awesome. Man. She's great Mayhem. Samara Weaving. And and I would also like Samara to use her real accent. Sorry, I mean, Mayhem. May- <laughs> mayhem. <laughs> <laughs> That's a callback to a joke. Uh, Cheryl Lee, uh, who played Laura Palmer, and Maddie. I don't know if you knew that. And she played also Maddie in Twin Peaks, her cousin. Oh my god, did she? I yeah, know I- shocker, I know. <laughs> I couldn't recognize him at first. Anyway, I think she has... She has an innocence about her. Everyone loved Laura Palmer in Twin Peaks. And you can kind of see it, especially with Fire Walk with me. You can kind of see the... The sadness, you can, you can see her happy moments, you can see her really turn on a dime, like, just like the psychotic, or the, like the, like, she's, like, fire walking, she's staring at the ceiling, she has that madness kind of look in her face. I feel like she could do great in, in 90s, 90s Cheryl Lee, she'd be great as a leading lady in a Jala film. In the 70s or the 80s, doesn't really matter, I think she... I think a simple town girl. So I'm going to sandwich another one in between my last pick. <laughs> okay. Because you said Twin Peaks, and that <clears throat> got me thinking about Sherilyn Finn. Oh. Who plays Audrey Horn, who would be a nice brunette Jello queen. Yes. But nowadays, I think she could play like a headmistress of a boarding school. So you'd have that little Twin Peaks reference in there, yeah. you, a caught following type and actress probably, in, oh. but then you get my next actress, Anya Taylor-Joy, playing our lead in this make-believe Jalo that I'm, I'm okay. going to write. Okay. And also the boarding <laughs> schools, she probably has a better, bigger part than in, in the return. Yes. Oh, yeah. Anya Taylor-Joy, that was an option, but I had a feeling you were going to pick her. So I thought you were going to say for your second pick. Anya Taylor-Joy, because do you consider Last Night in Soho Jalo? Yes. I thought you were saying, oh, she's already been in a Jalo. Which, yes, it is a murder mystery. Yeah. I will agree to that. No, nah, I think Jennifer Collins was in a legit Jalo. This one's kind of like a neo-pseudo-Jalo. Last Night in Soho was like that. Anya Taylor-Joy, I, I love her in everything. And, again, those big, expressive eyes. She could be another one where she's playing an innocent character, until the final reveal. I would love to yeah. see her in that type of role. Mine is... I don't think you're a big fan of her as an actress. Um, but I think Mary Elizabeth Winstead would be pretty damn good. Uh, for, like, Cloverfield. 
Mm-hmm. She can kick ass a little bit, but also like if you watch Scott Pilgrim, she has like this kind of like magnetism about her to where you can kind of relate to her a little bit. I got a better one. Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't put it in your list. Nev Campbell. Nev Campbell. <laughs> I knew you were going to say Nev that. Campbell for Scream, <laughs> but also, also The Craft. Mm-hmm. She is great. Yeah. I feel like a young Nev Campbell would have been great in the 70s or the 80s in Italy and all those other countries they filmed the Jala films in. Good list. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. Man. I don't care about our list. I care about the listeners. I had to narrow down these listener picks because I got so many strong opinions on oh. actresses. So I narrowed it down to four. Aaron from Baltimore. Hell yeah. From hometown. Ba- hometown from, listener. From, no, you said it wrong. From Baltimore. Balmer Hun. Baltimore, Maryland. <laughs> Aaron from Baltimore picks Penelope Cruz. Ooh, that's a good one. I love one. that for the foreign hot caliente. Oh, caliente. Aspect indeed. of that. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Garrett from Pittsburgh picks Barbara Bach, stating she had plenty of supporting roles, but would have been a fab Jalo lead. You would recognize Barbara from Black Belly of the Tarantula and a film that we reviewed on this podcast, Short Night of Glass Dolls. Oh, yes. She's fab. I agree. Friend of the podcast, Josh, Josh from DC, says a pre-Swamp Thing Adrian Barbell. Ooh, yeah. I mean, you know she can the yeah. fog and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a good pick. Great yeah. pick. And last but not least, Chad from Houston picks Julia Fox. Ooh. And he says, need I say more? I'm going to insert a peach emoji. Into yes. this episode because looks wise, yes, Julia Fox for sure, and I think for the same reason we have Jennifer Love Hewitt in an opening scene of a Sarah Michelle Gellar led film. Julia Fox would be an amazing opening kill, yeah. like her swimming alone in a pool, or just like her just being hot. Yeah. Oh, she's in this movie for five minutes. Can I give you two that I thought was going to be on your list? Two more. Yeah. Wow, we really love her. I, I didn't put I didn't put one in this list because I didn't think she would be. I don't think Jalo is her, her forte. Okay, Barbara Crampton. Oh my gosh! Yes, always. Okay, that's awesome. I'm surprised she didn't put her in her list. She does a lot of horror, and also she doesn't she really does do, do a lot. lot of she does do a lot of Jalo horror. I'm surprised. You Meg. listeners, everyone should know Barbara Crampton is near and dear to my heart. I, so always. I also thought you were gonna put like either Megan Fox or Amanda Seyfried from uh, Jennifer's Body. No, no. Jennifer, I, th- I, think, I think I don't think Megan Fox is that strong of an actress to lead the type of Jalo film that I like. How about Kyle Gellner? Yes. Book it, Argento. Where? I know you're making another movie. Give me. <laughs> but make another Take movie. Take my money. Kyle Gallner, and maybe if we're talking about Jennifer's body, get Adam Brody as well. Oh my god. No, so they can be in one of these movies I'm making. Oh, okay, 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 I got it, I got this, okay. Wade, do you have anything that you would like to plug or promote during this episode of Jollo of the Month Club? Yes, um, first of all, you can follow me personally on Sway Guy Instagram. Also, Suede MCP is the letterbox. Uh, probably the most, the biggest thing I'm probably promoting is on... Minkadish Productions Instagram. I don't know if it's going to be up by the time the episode airs. It's not up as we're recording this episode, but uh, the short film, Butterfly of Black Velvet, which you are an associate producer on, you actually have the, one of the first DVD copies right there. I have a signed DVD <clears throat> copy. Yes. 
we're going to have pre-orders open. I haven't set up the shop or anything like that. But by the time this episode airs, follow Mint Condition Productions on Instagram. You can pre-order it and stuff like that. Uh, also, there'll probably be a little note box. If you want it signed, I'll sign it for free. No, no extra cost on that. But I also know some people just love the cover art. They don't want it touched. So I will not sign every copy unless you want it to be signed. Could sign the actual DVD. Could sign the actual DVD as well. I'm just saying, I know some people love... It's just the, the cover art. Pristine yeah, yeah. or whatever. I doubt they would for a Wade Brown short. It's Land. It's awesome art. Yeah, Suspiria Land of the Art. Follow her on Instagram. She rules. Uh, especially if you love Jalo or, or 70s horror. Check her out. Mm-hmm. Also the name, Suspiria Land. Come on, guys. <laughs> the movie will be out in May. I'm aiming to have the DVD shipped out in May. So, it's called Butterfly of Black Velvet. Ooh, very Jalo. It's Jalo <laughs> inspired. I, 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 I don't want to say it's a Jalo film because I don't want to piss off the the movie Jalo snobs. And this is the I don't want there to be a podcast that's similar to this podcast. Like it's not Jalo. I don't want that. This movie does not include such Jalo elements as. Yeah. Wait, are you talking about me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's basically it's Jalo inspired, but there is some J and B in there. <laughs> and the music, the music by Jen Tonin, check her out on Spotify. She's great. The whole soundtrack is on Spotify right now, so you can listen to it. For Jollo of the Month Club, you can follow on Twitter and Instagram at Jollo Club. If you're listening on Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast streaming service and you like what you hear, please give a five-star rating or a thumbs up or a like, whatever you want. Leave a nice review. Logo design is by Vegan Patches on Instagram. You can find Vegan Patch's Etsy shop at Retirement Funds. Theme music is by Dream Division. You can find Dream Division's music on Instagram at Dream Division Music and on Bandcamp at dreamdivision.bandcamp.com. Follow your host, Diana, me, on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Diana NK. Wade, thank you so much for being on this episode. Yeah. I love this theme. And you've been listening to Jollo Month Club. I'm your host, Diana Koch. And I'm Wade.